thinking about this idea that there is a way through um, this world that we live in. Even, I think one of the things we're going to think about today, even a triumphant, safe, uh, secure way through. As we've read through this letter in 1 John, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've ever written a letter and what you've based uh, your letter on. John covers, essentially, he's writing to a little church in a localized area with quite a specific set of circumstances. This, a bunch of people have left. It doesn't look on the face of it like a huge, big, global thing. And yet John writes this letter to them, speaking into that situation. A bunch of people have left, confused everybody, stirred things up, and John writes, and he explains it away by presenting the full gamut of good and bad in the world. That's, that's the kind of picture that you get when you read through 1 John. So they have this idea of the devil, this evil being that, that comes around, as we might have it in the back of our minds. And he says about this, this idea of evil or the devil, he says, you think it's a way down the line? You think it's some big nasty being that's, that's way in front of you? He says to them in a couple of passages in 1 John, he says it in this passage as well, it's right amongst you. Even now, it's right amongst you. It, it's presenting itself in, in some of the people that you've been knocking around with. It's here. It brings you uh, this big picture. And he says, evil is nearer and it's more prevalent uh, than you thought. And he says as well, he talks about the spirit. Did you see the mention of the spirit in that text? He talks about this idea that there is a spirit war going on at the moment. These people dealing with a church fallout, essentially. He says, yeah, this is what's happening. But behind that is this huge picture. He says, um, these false prophets have been around and they're everywhere. They're all over the place, presenting wrong messages all over the place. He gives this huge, big picture. And then he talks throughout the letter about this idea of dark and light. Huge, big concepts. And he says, he says to them, this, this, this localized church, you need to think about, in terms of what's happening here, you need to see the big gamut, the whole big picture. There's a spiritual war going on. Underneath everything that's happening, there's this good and evil tangle. You can see that in the text that we've just read. This pulling, this to and fro of our own hearts, but across the world. And it sounds, when you, particularly when you talk about things like devils and spirits, Certainly if you've not been in the church much or if you're new to the church, it sounds like such a, like I'm always conscious when I preach, like who could be watching, whether some of my pals are watching or some of the footy dads are watching or dads on the run, it sounds like such a distant concept, this. Evil spirits, you know, battle between good and evil, darkness and light. We seem so far removed from it and yet, when we look out, if we can take a second, switch Netflix off and switch your smartphone off, any sort of news that you're looking at, any sort of picture of world events that you're looking at, this huge confusion, this huge tug of wars between right and wrong going on all over the place. John says, you need to look at this. There's these huge bits of deception and yet all around, I think we know this, there's these chinks of light at the same time. 
when we're faced with this, if we stop to think about any of the nonsense that's going on in the world, any of the trouble that's going on in the world, faith, Christian life generally, particularly the concept of faith, it can feel like a fingers crossed, hang on and hope exercise, can't it? When we look at the powers that be, when we look at the flow of the world, when we look at the force of the media, when we see like this wave of sin, if you can call it that, it feels sometimes like our little corner of faith, our little church, our own little personal story of faith, feels a bit like faith is something like, it's come to mean that thing that we hang on to. We go to if we're really messed up, we're really in a dark place, then we go to our faith. Or it becomes like a comfy blanket. Or it's something that we have to go, I just need to hang on to this. Hopefully at the end of it is heaven. Hopefully if I just hang on to it that long, that's, faith can become that. Because life gets so busy and we're so immersed without really knowing it in this spiritual war that's going on. John writes to this church and to us and he says, you as believers, people of faith, you, you've been enlightened to see the big picture, the big story. You've seen this. You've, you've got insight. I'm reminding you about what's going on in the background. You've got insight into that. And you are amongst the people who know that there is a way through. And he writes to them in this letter, I think, and he says, Christian life, yeah, it can just be about holding on. Sometimes it's that. But faith is there to be exercised and employed. It's there to be used in the difficult element areas of life. And in the difficult areas of life, it's there to be experienced and to grow in. This is what he writes to the church, and he says, um, I don't know if you're familiar of how we came by the theory of gravity. Mr. Newton, who saw the apple drop, had this penny-dropping, apple-dropping moment where he, I'm pretty sure that's, this is how it all happened. Getting, getting a few, yeah, that's how it happened, Ash. Yeah, that's, you got it right. He saw the apple drop, and, and in that moment, it wasn't just that he saw the apple drop from the tree. Lots of elements of the world came together for him. He, he, he understood huge, big patterns of the world. And on the back of it, what did he do? Did he see this? Did he have this penny-dropping moment and then go, I'll just hang around under this tree? That was quite a nice, nice little awakening. Or, or did he go... Man, that's terrifying. I'm just not going to go out anymore because things can clearly drop from the sky. Or did he just put it to the back of his mind and go, oh, well, there you go. Gravity. Brilliant. That's a nice notion. Didn't, did he? He had this penny-dropping moment, and then he spent the rest of his life pouring into what it would mean for the human race, for him, for everything, for how we look at everything, for how everything unfolds. John says to us as Christians, We've had the penny-dropping moment in Jesus, and we've seen the bigger picture of how the world works. We know. We know in our minds that this is a wrestle between good and evil. We know that some of that stuff going off, when we see the TV news, when we feel tempted, when we live in our Christian lives, we know this, and we know that the answer is in Jesus. And he says to this, to this little localized church, as he says to us in Cass, he says, you can hang on, you know, Hang on and hope will be part of the story, I'm sure. But he says to us as well, faith can be so much more than that. It can be so much more helpful than that. It can be so much more real than that. So it's just a couple of ways 
I'm going to talk to you from the text about how we realize that. The first one, so read, read with me verse 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is in the world. That's what he says to them. The world, even the local church, even the local church, even this church in Ephesus, even the churches round about Cass, our homes are flooded with untruths. And Christians, people of faith, people who've seen this big picture, have got to be, yes, people who hang on and hope, but people who are discerning. That is what part of faith is. And he gives us the means to be discerning. He says to us, our point of discernment, the way that we assess the stuff that we see, the influences that come into our lives, he says the way that you assess that is to see whether at the end of it is what? Is it pointing, and this is quite specific to the text, but it's really helpful. Is it pointing to the physical life of Jesus? Is that at the end of it? Be discerning. As church folk, I think a bit of an antiquated term, but that's kind of what we are. We, we hear that and we think, aha, I know what this is about. This is, this is people who, who give a message, who stand at the front like me, and then don't talk about Jesus. They, they're slightly more ask for your money than they do about Jesus. I've got to keep my eye on that. Or this is the, the tele, televangelists. It, it's those kind of people giving a, an off-piste message. Or it's cults. It's that kind of thing. And on one level, yeah, like wake up, we are Christians. We're called to be discerning. Everything that I say, everything that Paul says or any of the elders here, hold us to account, discern, read your Bibles as well, where, you know, I beseech you to do that. But it's talking about more than that here. See, he says, anything that doesn't recognize Jesus as coming into the world, as being the answer, as being the Messiah, anything that influences us in that way, you need to discern this, you need to look into this. Anytime that we're influenced to think God isn't there. So just think about this, as think about your last week, ways that you've interacted, stuff you've seen on social media, um, adverts that you've received, stuff, conversations that you've been a part of. Anything that influences us to think God's not there, he doesn't care, we don't personally need any help. There are no consequences to the things that we do. There is huge pressure, immense pressure on us to make idols of stuff, to put stuff in God's place. Crazy, fantastically subtle pressures on us to put anything 
in the place of God. How we look, how popular we are, how much money we can earn, how good our job is, anything like that. Anything to make us think, not, not, just, that, not just that these things are good, it's, you know, it's, I, even though Arnold questioned my appearance when I came in, I make a bit of effort with, with my appearance and everything else. It, we need to earn money, all this stuff, but then it comes in the place of God. There's huge pressure for this stuff, not just to be something that's nice and we enjoy, but to replace God. So much of what we see and hear and are told is smart and the key word, progressive. So much of what we hear is progressive, declares God was never there and he doesn't care. And we, as Christians, are called to be in these, what I think are subtle, confusing times. Part of our faith, elements of our faith need to be exercised in discerning this stuff. Being a Christian isn't just rocking up. John says to these people, you need to look into this and where these things are leading you and what is at their origin. This is part of what faith is as well. And at the same time, John also tells us about the fact that there is light in this world, that God's word cuts through stuff, that he speaks to us. We've got to be ready to discern those and see those as well. Knowing the bigger picture, knowing who Jesus is, means that our faith lives are just hanging on. They are discerning. And we are discerning these things by who Jesus is. Now, I guess the big question, and this is, this should, I guess this is a question for all of us, but it's certainly a question if this is something you're looking into or you're just hovering around. You may listen to me and you go, okay, so you're telling me to be discerning. You're telling me to look into stuff. That ain't rocket science, is it really? You can say already, I am discerning. I do look at stuff. I do try and make assessments about what's good and bad. Question is, why does Jesus hold a special place in that discernment? Why isn't it, why isn't it my gut? Or why isn't it the flavor of a political party? Or why isn't it um, progress or enlightenment? Or why isn't it liberty? or the American dream happiness? Why isn't it any of these things? Why aren't these the focus of our discernment? Why don't these decide what we think is good and what we think is bad? Here's, here's, here's my two penna. These values, often these values are great. Things that we aspire to, happiness, liberty, really good stuff. Often, the people that lead us down that, that road, some of our politicians, they're really good, some of them, some of, the, some of the people that are public figures at the head of progress, they're really good. They've got really good ideals. Yet, so often, in that story comes corruption. Even if we're just chasing after happiness, like the American dream, can easily turn into something else, capitalism or greed or whatever else it is. Chasing liberty, even chasing liberty can end up in a, in a war. These, these things that are good things easily become corrupted. And here's what I would say to you. The very things that drive us mad about all of that are the things that make Jesus so compelling as a point of discernment. The things that drive us mad about the things that we would follow and we would make points of discernment are things that compel us and pull us towards Jesus. There's a great story in John chapter 8. So I've not got the text up, but you'll have to take my word for it. It's one of my favorite 
moments in the Bible. I can never, if I'm flicking through, sometimes I'll just go to this story because it's such a compelling story and it gives me so much hope in who Jesus is when I'm thinking about discernment and who to follow. There is a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now let that, let that sentence just resonate just for a second and embarrass us collectively. She's caught in the act of adultery and she's brought out into the square to be stoned by the group, the law keepers, because it's the law. And they're all there ready, old men, young men, this is what they're gonna do. It's, it's, it's one of those moments in a lot of respects like today where you see the mess and the horror of life as people try and keep the law and yet we do wrong things. And you see the whole horrible mess come surging together. We see this today in wars and fights and all of, all of the other kinds of ways. And we see it here in this moment. And you look at it and you go, there's no outcome here. There's no way to decipher this or discern. There's no way to turn this around at all. It's not possible. And Jesus is in the middle of it and he's sat on the ground. And he's sat on the ground because he's teaching and he's drawing in the ground. And he looks up and he says out loud, let him who's without sin chuck the first stone at this woman. Couple of words, one sentence. And one sentence from Jesus. Because of who he is because of what he represents, because of the way he's able to speak into that situation, sends everybody and everything away, heading towards, and only Jesus could do this, righteous discernment. All the people that are there with the stones, even though they can say, well, we're doing, we're upholding the law, this is the law. They're forced to a better place, a more righteous place, a more discerned perspective, because they've got to go away and think about themselves first, who's not sinned. All other people turn and make their way home. Youngest first, all this last, but everybody goes. This woman who's caught in the act of adultery, who's done this terrible thing, she has this redemptive moment where she gets to, you know, she gets a reprieve. She gets to think about God's grace and she thinks about herself. And even, think about this, even the very law that Jesus doesn't change or alter at all, even the very law is revealed in a higher place because Jesus shows us the heart of it only. And this is what keeps me and helps me along my journey of my faith. Only Jesus points us towards righteousness. Only him. Follow anybody else, any other ideal, and they'll trip up or you'll trip up. Jesus heads us towards righteousness. Only in Jesus. So we should be discerning. We should be discerning and we should discern through him. There's one other thing I noticed in the text. And we see that in verse four. Verse four says, you dear children, dearly beloved, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So you've got this incredible circumstance where this church has endured. And when he, when he uses the idea of overcoming here, it's not, you can initially read that and think, what have they done? Have they beaten them back? Have they puffed out their chests and shoved them off? You know, have they, has it been a, a, an aggression? Has it been something like that? When it talks about overcoming here, they're not, these people that have left the church haven't been beaten back. 
what he's saying is the integrity of the church, the purity of the church, the faithfulness of the church has remained. There's been huge lies all around, all around. Like you think about this circumstance, he's got the persecution of the Roman Empire. That's not enough. You've got, you know, lies, spiritual warfare, and you've got this group of people who are up to all sorts, causing complete confusion. And John says, you've overcome. You've got through the other side faithfully. You've kept the faith. You've got through this. How have you got through this? And I guess this comes, I think, I think he writes this, just as they, they, I imagine them starting to think, yeah, we did, didn't we? Totally got through this. Nailed it, because we're awesome. John says, no, this is why you got through it. Because what's gone on inside of you is greater than the one that's in the world. Now you think about that for a second. That should be your favorite equation of the day, of the year, of, of your life. What's happened inside of you? Because it's the kind of equation, it just it sticks and it works forever. What's gone on inside of you is always greater than, and I've used the greater than sign, one of the only mathematical terms that I know, greater than the devil in this world and all the mess that he causes. And let me tell you, caused some amount of mess. There's no hole that we've dug for ourselves. There's no temptation that will be presented to us. There's no pull from the world that will ever be stronger than what has happened inside of us. We think of that the Holy Spirit, I don't know how you envisage what it's like. I think we have a bit of a notion of that little voice in our head, that little thing, we connect it with conscience, life guide, encouraging thought bringer. You wake up on a morning, there's a verse that you know, inspires you. Yes, it's all of that. That thing, if that's how we imagine it, is the same spirit that meant that Stephen, the martyr, was still preaching when they were pelting stones at him. That same spirit is the same spirit that meant that the terrified disciples that hid in a room, looking like everything was collapsing all around them, went back into Jerusalem after Jesus had been crucified and preached the word and the church drew. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is that little voice in our heads. It feels, doesn't it, so often our little faith thing, our little corner of the world feels so small and fragile and easily broken, our own little faith story. And yet, John says to us, when we're faced with all this and we're wondering how we're going to get through, and we're wondering how we're going to get to the other side, how we're going to get into old age with our faith, how we're going to remain faithful, God says to this church, and he says to, uh, John says to this church, and he says to us, exercise the, the way through that, that thing that's happened inside of you, the spirit that God's placed inside of you. Look to that. We focus so much of our attention on everything else, don't we? Sometimes I am mesmerized by the power and the flow of the world. I can't, I'm transfixed by it. I'm like, that's just huge. How do you stop that sin? How do you stop that mess? How do you confront that power? What on earth is faith in all of that? John says, focus on what has happened inside of you and you come out the other side 
faithful. Paul puts it like this. This is Galatians 5. If you want to go and read it later, it's a great chapter. Great little bit of a letter to the church at Galatia. He says, since we live by the Spirit, and what he means by that is, since we've got a faith and God's Spirit's come inside us and that means we get eternal life, since that's happened, we should walk in step with the Spirit. Since we've gone, I'll have the eternal life, thank you. Of course, it makes sense to have everything else that goes with it, God's Spirit in us. And he uses the language, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, perhaps change the way you walk. Just walk, you could say. Change the rhythm. Listen to God's voice. Be moved by his story of forgiveness. Respond to his grace. Have his compassion. Be strengthened by his spirit. Look that way at what God's done inside of you and not out there. And he goes on to say, when we think about whether that's really worth it, that the outcomes of keeping in step with the Spirit are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. A good way through life, I think. John says to us, you know the big picture. You've seen it. You've had the penny drop moment of realizing who Jesus is. You know what's going on. You can hang on, but if you're hanging on, think about this. Think about exercising your faith. Think about employing the Holy Spirit. Think about thinking about things through the lens of faith. There's fruit in that.